0: Wow, you think about the words of that song, the love of God to save a glorious, a glorious God to save a soul like mine. What an amazing thought. Children, you may be dismissed for Children's Church. Folks, we need to be humbled by the fact that God loves us so much that he saved our dirty, rotten, filthy souls, our souls that were full of sin, and he loved us so much that he saved us. It's amazing. When you think about your failings, how you failed him, and yet he saved us. What a wonderful song this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to continue on in our study in in Hebrews 6. and We got partway through chapter 6 last week, and of course there was not a chance in the world we were going to make it to the end of chapter 6. There's just too much in chapter 6. So we are in verse 10 today, and our first point today is the fact that God... Is faithful, God is faithful. Notice what it says. It says, "For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister." And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them that through who through faith and patient patience and here inherit the promises. I want us to see the fact today folks as we as we jump into this part of the passage right away we see the fact that God is faithful God is faithful what does it say it says for God is not unrighteous the word unrighteous there literally means unjust God is not unjust so if God is not unjust then the reverse must be true God is just God is just and, and, and we see that thought in different places in the Bible. Revelation chapter uh, 15. The Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3 uh, says this. Revelation 15 and 3, it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are, they, are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. He is just. He is just, Deuteronomy, all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32. As we jump from the New Testament, uh, the end of the Bible, all the way back almost to the beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and starting in verse 1, we read this. Chapter 32 and verse 1, it says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. That's interesting. That's going to come into play later. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. See, folks, God is faithful God is just and as we jump into this passage today in verse 10 it says for God is not unrighteous and so God is just God is righteous and so what is it that God is just about this passage tells us in verse 10 he says for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name. You know what that tells us, folks? That tells us that God is faithful to remember what you have done in the name of the Lord. You know, I I think that that should encourage us greatly, because as humans, we often forget what other people have done in the name of the Lord. We may have somebody that we look up to, somebody who's a mentor to us. And just as the years go by and the years pass, we just forget their impact in our life. And sometimes we may never bring it to remembrance. But God is faithful. And God remembers our labor that was done in His name. He remembers the work that was done in His name, a work of love. A labor of love. Where did that labor take place? Well, it tells us. It says, uh, "Not for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister." As Paul here is encouraging uh, these folks, he, you know, he just come through this part of the passage where he gave them some really dire warnings, and now he's trying to encourage them some and he says listen God is not unfaithful or unrighteous or unjust to forget your labor of love which you've done for the Saints for your brothers and sisters in Christ and which you continue to do so what does that tell us folks well that tells me that part of my life as a Christian ought to be ministering pouring my life into other people that are Christians the Saints and it doesn't matter if you're full-time ministry, as I have the privilege of being where I am, I am a pastor and, and I'm in full-time ministry, or if you're just a member of the church. Listen, folks, the encouragement is still the same. If, you're, if you are saved today, we ought to have a work and labor of love towards other believers. And that's something that should continue. Paul's desire was that his readers would continue to be diligent in this area notice what he says he says and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end Paul says listen I want you to continue ministering to those around you well actually a huge encouragement to us today listen folks we need to be ministering to those around you and that happens in all different ways folks I think sometimes we get the idea that, that ministry is just I sit down and I teach somebody a Bible lesson. Well, that is one form of ministry, and certainly we need that. We need Sunday school che- teachers and children's church teachers and, and adult Sunday school teachers. We need that. We need people to open their Bible and to teach us. That's one way ministry happens, but that is by far not the only way ministry happens. You know, ministry ha- can happen by uh, putting your arm around somebody that's in need and saying, I'm sorry for you. And I'll pray for you. That's ministry, folks. Ministry can be. I know this has been a hard month for you, and I have the means to help out a little. So let me help you. That's ministry, folks. Ministry can be, you can take on all kinds of forms. Ministry can be helping somebody load a moving van. That's ministry. There is ministry in so many ways in this world that we can we can reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul here is encouraging us in this area of service. And he says that, they, that he would encourage us to keep the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, those of you who claim to be a Christian, this should be a focal point of your life, ministering to those in need. In other words, folks, it's a mark of true Christianity. Not the only mark, but it is a mark of true Christianity that we would have this kind of mentality first Peter first Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 first Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 says this it says seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently fervently see folks we need to demonstrate and unfeigned love of the brethren that's what we need to be doing you can turn back a little bit further into 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 then verse 9 it says but as touching brotherly love ye need not that I write unto you for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another listen folks we are supposed to love each other and if we are not loving each other we are not accomplishing one of the things that in our Christian walk we should be accomplishing, and so that's that's the encouragement here is to love one another, love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and continue to minister to them. And then he gives us that encouragement, and then he kind of gives us a warning at the end. He says that ye be not slothful, that ye be not slothful. The word really means lazy, listless, or slow. In other words, you don't be Somebody that ministers to the other people when there's just no other recourse and you have to do it. I I really don't want to get involved. I really don't want to be involved in this. I really don't want to have to do this. I really don't want to have to go speak to this person. I really don't want but I'm going to have to do it because there's no other alternative at this point. That's the slow, listless, lazy person. That's the person that says, Lord, I'm going to minister only because I have to. That's basically what it is. And uh, he says, don't be this way don't be a slothful person but then notice what he says he says but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises he said follow others who have gone before you that have done this that's what he says guess what folks we're gonna get a list of those people in a couple more chapters when we get to chapter chapter 11 Of hebrews when we get to the hall of fame of faith we are going to read names in that list and people that aren't even named in that list who have faithfully shown love by working and loving other brothers and sisters in Christ and Paul says follow their example live your life that way live your life in service and love and work toward others that's what he says and that takes us to point number two God's promises are to be trusted. God's promises are to be trusted. Notice what he said. He just talked about the full assurance of hope until the end. Our our, our hope is what? Spending eternity with the Lord someday. That is our hope as a believer. And so after he's presented this and told them how they ought to be engaging in their spiritual life toward other believers, he says, listen, you can trust the promises of God. And he goes on to explain how. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So it goes back to the Old Testament. For sake of time, we are not going to look at this passage today. But back into Genesis chapter 22, where God. Uh, made a promise to Abraham that he was going to multiply his seed, and 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 Paul here says, listen, there was no greater authority that he could swear to other than himself. Why? Because God is truth. God is truth, and He is the ultimate. Example for us of truth. And so he swear to himself on himself, then they could swear by no greater, saying, Surely will I, bl- I blessing, I will bless thee, and multiply and I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So Abraham obtained the promise of God that his seed would be multiplied. And it took time, it didn't happen right away. See, we want instant results, don't we, folks? When God says, I'm gonna do this, we want it now. I mean, God, you've promised me this, I want it now. But sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to endure something in the meantime. But God is faithful to keep his promise. And that's what we want to notice here about what he's saying. And so after he had wait had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So then he he's still on this subject of, of, of swearing by name and taking an oath. And he says, listen, men. Swear by the greatest thing they can swear by, the the most trusted thing they can swear by, and so that's what God did. He swore by Himself, and then we take an oath. An oath is something we take seriously, at least I hope we do. I hope we do. You know, people in all different professions have to take oaths, and uh, and hopefully they they take those oaths and they abide by those oaths. But He says. An oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. He says, listen, if you're going to take an oath and take it with somebody else, it ought to bring an end to any, uh, any problem, any, any confusion between you two. It should be the end of all strife. And that's what he's saying in this passage, that, that, that this is how God is making this promise to us. Matthew Henry speaking of on the assurance of this truth, said this he says they are all confirmed by the oath of God and they are all found upon the eternal counsel of God and therefore may be depended upon Abraham received the promise and then notice what it says whereon God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath so God may swear by his name and then confirmed it by an oath. And notice what it says. The, the immutability of his counsel converted by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Two immutable things. God's promise to Abraham and God's oath. And the Bible tells us that these two, in these two things it is impossible for God to lie. So in, in what purpose is all this done what what is all what is all this I mean, he's talking about promises he's talking about oaths for what purpose is all this done he tells us this is why one of the reasons I think Paul wrote this book is because just like in Romans he often answers things before people have a chance to ask them and so we get to this and we're wondering okay so these two immutable things his promise his oath he can't lie why what's the purpose of it well here's the purpose the middle of verse 18 we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hopes that before us this was done so that we would have strong consolation strong consolation Guzik in his commentary says this he says God isn't content to give us mere consolation he wants to give us strong consolation and I love Spurgeon has just so many great things to say but I love what Spurgeon says about this issue he and I'm just gonna read you this paragraph it's wonderful it is a strong consolation that can deal with outward trials when a man has poverty staring him in the face and here's his little children crying for bread when bankruptcy is likely to come upon him through unavoidable losses when the poor man has just lost his wife and his dear children have been put into the same grave, when one after another all earthly props and comforts have given way, it needs a strong consolation then. Not in your pictured trials, but your real trials. Not in your imaginary whimsied afflictions, but in the real afflictions and the blustering storms of life. To rejoice then and say, Those, though these things be not with me as I would have them, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. This is strong consolation. That is a powerful paragraph, folks. Because what Spurgeon is saying is when everything in life does not go the way you want it to go, when things are difficult, when things are hard, when things are happening around you that are out of your control, when those things are going on, he says we can turn to God for strong consolation. Isn't that a blessing, folks? Because we all experience these times. We experience times when we don't have the answers, when there is something we wish we could do. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have said to myself I wish there was something I could do to fix this and there's not there's not because as Spurgeon shares with, these are unavoidable things sometimes these are not things that are necessarily of our own making these are problems that come our way trials that come our way difficulties that we face but because of his promises we can face them With strong consolation we can be consoled in our deepest trials and that's what he's trying to teach us here but notice it just it doesn't stop there he he says uh, he says uh, uh, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us who have fled for refuge To lay hold upon the hope this is a clear reference to the cities of refuge in the Bible and we don't have time today to read about that but if you ever want to you can go back to numbers 35 and read about the cities of refuge the cities of refuge were established so that if somebody accidentally killed somebody. It was not done intentional. It was not murder. Uh, obviously, murder, the Bible was very clear. Uh, the person who murdered should be put to death. And in that, if you read that passage in Numbers 35, that is mentioned in there numerous times, that if somebody commits murder, they should be put to death. Uh, that That's why, as, as a believer, I believe in the death penalty, because the Bible is very clear. If you kill somebody, if you ki- kill innocent blood, you should be put to death. The Bible's clear about that. But the city of refuge was designed for the person who accidentally killed somebody. It wasn't because of evil. It wasn't because he hated him. It was an accident that happened. It gave him a place to run to for security, and uh, and that he could live there until the high priest of that city died. And when the high priest of that city died, he was released. From guilt and he was safe in that city well this the the city of refuge was a place of security it was a place for somebody that was innocent to run to but here we're told we have a place of refuge we have a place not because we're not guilty even though we're guilty, we have a place that we can run to. And Guzik in his commentary, and I, I enjoy Guzik's commentary a lot, he listed several similarities and one glaring difference between these two. And so let me just read these off to you. He, says, he said, both are within easy reach, the city of refuge and Jesus Christ. Both are within easy reach of the person in need. If you read that passage in Numbers, you'll see that there were several of those cities established so that people could quickly get to them. Both are open to all, not just the Israelite. The cities of refuge were for everybody of that time, not just Israelites. Both are places to live. Those in need came and stayed. Both are the only alternative for those in need. For the man who accidentally murdered somebody, it was the only alternative. And for us today... In need of something to save our soul, Jesus Christ is the only alternative. Both provide protection within their boundaries. As long as the person stayed within the boundaries of the city, he was safe. But if he stepped outside of the boundaries of the city, the person that was related to the person that had been killed had the right to put him to death. You know, folks, it works the same with us. As long as we abide in Jesus Christ, we are under the umbrella of his protection. Both provided full freedom with the death of the high priest. Think about the picture. The high priest dies in the, refuge, in the city of refuge, and the guy that committed murder is free to go about and nobody can touch him. Well, our high priest died for us, Jesus Christ, on the cross. What's the glaring difference? The city of refuge was for the innocent. But Jesus Christ paid the debt for the guilty. That's the difference. The debt was paid for us, the guilty, to seek refuge in him. But he doesn't stop there. Point number three, Jesus Christ and the anchoring of our soul. Notice what he says. He says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the foreigner is for us entered even Jesus Christ made an high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. We don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to develop this quickly. We have an hope as an anchor of the soul. In ancient times, the anchor was seen as a symbol of hope. What is our hope? Our hope is to spend eternity in heaven someday there's an old song that says the anchor holds though the ship is battered the anchor holds though the sails are torn I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas the anchor holds in spite of the storm notice what he says he says we have an anchor of the soul sure and steadfast sure and steadfast what those words mean well sure means certain secure safe reliable trustworthy steadfast means unshakable firm secure and enduring the anchor is sure and steadfast because it is cast upon the rock If you've ever been in a boat or a ship the anchor doesn't hold when it's in the sand it holds when it gets hold of the rock and in for us in this illustration, it's the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Oh, you can read through the Psalms. I, I read through the Psalms, I think it was Friday afternoon, maybe Thursday afternoon, at all the references to Jesus Christ and God as our rock. Psalm 18.1, the Lord is my rock. Psalm 31.3, for thou art my rock. Psalm 89 26 thou art my father my God and the rock of my salvation and I could go on and on and on just with the references from the book of Psalm about Jesus Christ and God being our rock our hope is an anchor cast upward into the inner sanctuary of heaven where it lays hold of Christ and cannot be be moved life is the sea the soul is the ship Hope is the in the anchor. Christ is the hidden rock within the veil. What a blessed thought. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. But before we get there, notice what he says at the end of this passage. He says, Whither the forerunner is for us entered ye even Jesus made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was the forerunner. He was the what? The example. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21 says, for even here were where ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Wow. Paul says, listen, my desire for you is that you would continue to minister to the saints, trusting in the promises of God, recognizing that you have an anchor for the soul because the anchor is secured in the rock that is Jesus Christ, who can help you navigate the trials of this life. What a wonderful thought. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of this message. Paul just finished giving a lot of warnings to these folks and Now he he seems to be giving a lot of encouragement to them. And the encouragement comes in the form of encouraging them to continue to minister in the way they have ministered in the past. But the encouragement also comes in understanding that we have a God who is faithful in what he has promised us. He is faithful through the trials and storms of this life. He is faithful to see us through. Why? Because we have an anchor of the soul in Christ Jesus as the anchor is hooked on the solid rock. What a blessing for us today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the service. I don't know how the Lord maybe spoke to your heart today, but maybe you need to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to thank Him for being there for you in the times and the trials. Maybe you're in a trial right now and you need to just maybe sit down at your pew or come to the front and say, God help me navigate my way through the trial. I don't know what the case is, but we wait just for a moment as Judy begins to play.